It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, lift with your knees. They're easier to replace than your back. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me as always is... Tom... Additionally, joining us as guests this week are Ragnar and Byron. Thanks for joining us, Ragnar and Byron. You may remember Ragnar from a variety of episodes, including other foreign films like M, The Phantom Carriage, and The Passion of Joan of Arc. Byron is also back from the Running Man episode. When not on our podcast, Byron is involved with the Black Professionals in International Affairs at BPIA Tweets on Twitter. Byron's wife is also the owner, creator, and graphic designer for Boho Mama at Boho Mama on Instagram. More than a purchase, a memory. Ragnar and Byron continue to conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with the movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we're going back to 2019. In 2019, we saw the largest toothpick sculpture display come to life, and Bong Joon-ho releases his seventh movie, Parasite, which won Best Picture over Ford and Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is Parasite all about? With this movie, I tried to start a trend with a Nick picking a KJ pick, hoping my co-hosts would play along to continue the trend, but they didn't. However, this was a film I wanted to see after it got a lot of hype with all the awards won at the Oscars and have been patiently waiting for this episode to watch and discuss steering clear of any spoilers or plot reveals. What is Parasite all about? This is another tough one to break down without giving away too much information. We're introduced to the Kim family who barely is scraping by. Through sheer circumstance and cunning, the family is able to exploit the needs of the wealthy Park family for their own financial gain. But at what cost? Let's start the show and find out. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Parasite, what would it be? Gestus. Ragnar? Monumental. Byron? Calculating. And my word would be morphing. It's time for question one. What university did the son of the Kim family, played by Wu Sik Choi, graduate from? Locked in. Could you repeat the question again? Sorry. What university did the son of the Kim family, played by Wu Sik Choi, graduate from? There's some air quotes in there. Locked in. Locked in. Ragnar, you're going to start us up. Okay. So if I recall correctly, the the son did not graduate from any college. The question had air quotes. Okay, so which one did he <laughs> want to? I'll let you I go think. again. <laughs> so I get, I get it now with his degree. Um, so I, I don't exactly remember the name of the university that he wink wink graduated from. Um, but I'm going to guess uh, Yohei or, or something along those lines that I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. Okay. Byron? I think it oh, the sun. Maybe I was thinking one of the other. So I'm going to go with Illinois State University. Okay. Tom? It's the sun, right? That's what I locked the in. The sun. With. Yeah, I'm going to say, uh, I think it's Yodong University is the one he didn't go to. Okay, no points. Yeah, yeah. What was it called? It was Oxford University. No. 
Right. <laughs> completely missed that one. What? It's not. It is. It is. No. It is. It's no not. way. It's not. It's a Korean name. Like, it's from Yo Something. Yeah. Okay. It depends I, I, what version. It depends what version you watched. The good uh, news the is version that came out. What do you mean? What nobody. So there was two releases. Okay. There was one for international. The good news is nobody got it right either way. Okay. But there was two versions for the American version. It was Oxford for the original version. It was Yonsei University. Oh, that's what we're going so, for. So no, nobody got either of them. So it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I would have gotten not. I, yeah, 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 I probably would have remembered Oxford. I yeah. was in the yo area. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was there too. Half point, half point. Yeah, I knew yo. I, I didn't hear any Yonsei. Yonsei, you had, <laughs> but needless to say. I, I'm surprised. What a strange edit. For, yes. For the so of- the reason that the director went in that direction was he wanted to make sure that the audience knew it was a very prestigious university. Whereas if you're not from there, you might not know that the Yonsei University is super prestigious. I did not until I read this tidbit about it, mm-hmm. but that's why. And so it depended. The re- I had both of them as correct answers, depending on what versions people watched. The reason I brought this one up is to segue into the first part of this film, which I'm lovely referring to as the con job, okay? So I wanted to talk about this intro to this film, what actually happens, how they creep their way into these people's lives. And the other part is, did you all think that that's the direction the movie was gonna go in or did you think it was going to go the way it did? So kind of open season on, the con job and how the family operates. When this was like, you know, hitting all the festivals and everything, I purposely did not uh, pay attention to it just because I was like, I'm not one for like really being like, oh, because it's getting all the all the attention, let me go tune into it. So I purposely did not tune into all that. So I did not know much about it. Saw a couple of previews here and there, saw kind of the top photo of uh, the, the Kim family with their eyes kind of covered up. I was like, okay, well, obviously it's something about uh, either somebody's identity being different than what they say it is. I, think, I feel like that was easy to figure out. But, you know, in, in watching the, the first act, it was, I felt it was very, you know, quick to see that this is going to be a, a family, a family that figured out a way to, you know, use or create identities for themselves to put themselves in a better position. I felt like that was, that was an easy one to, to figure out. Um, However, there were some twists and some turns that I, I greatly appreciated um, that were outside of kind of the, the making or establishing their identities, as well as bringing up the concepts of um, class, of socioeconomic standing, of, um, you know, looking at where they lived. So, you know, kind of geographical location, residences and, and whatnot, and also opportunities. But I think, yeah, in, in act one, I, I liked how they set it up to where it went from one family member to another family member to another family member, and they just kept working each other in to the into the game. Yeah, I agree. I, I like how like a parasite the, that family kind of took over the body of the rich family um, beyond the kind of like metaphorical and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the reasons I love this movie, and I think it's just absolutely legendary is the execution of something that maybe was not so surprising. You could tell very early on that they're going to take over that household. Um, But it's the execution of how the movie did it that made it fresh and engaging the whole time. Not one scene, not one moment is wasted. And you can feel the energy coming off of this movie. And I think uh, this might be a little bit uh, hyperbolic, but I think it has full stop the best um, montage scene in any movie ever. That scene where they're bringing on the mother and how they're kind of like the peaches and all that montage and the talking and the acting and the, no, no, father, you have to put more emphasis on it and all that stuff. It was just unreal on another level. And it has, I have never seen a montage scene that, that has worked better than that. All I could think of when all of that was going on was if these people put their brain power to good use, 
<laughs> they probably could have accomplished something, but they can only turn that on or trigger it in a yes. devious manner. You know, yes. so it was yes. great. I love that. And, and I was thinking, so oh man, I wish I could remember the name of the movie. So thinking about what you said, Ragnar, about the montage scene, one of the scenes that I think a lot of people tend to remember is the, what was the movie with James McAvoy and, and Keira Knightley, the war movie? Where there was just like uh, atonement, um, atonement. Yeah, uh, uh, atonement, yeah. So that yeah. scene where they're on the battlefield, where it's just like the one shot, and it's like the panoramic and everything. That mm -hmm. that is the scene that I thought of when I saw that family scene being set up, um, and how it was just like you know going from the peaches to the um, the mother, you know, working her way in to the, to the acting, and you know when you when you see that the son or whoever in the family has actually created a script. And they're acting out, you know, how to take the next step for the family to 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 be where it needed to be. And what what really hit me uh, was it wasn't that uh, the the family. I mean, they they were all of them were cunning, all of them were smart. You know, I think you know for the way that uh, the the dad um, uh, the dad Kim, how he they 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 played him as like a doof a doofus or like a dud I think with what he brought to the family it was still that sense of intelligence just not in the same way that you know everybody else did everybody else was confident in what they brought whereas the dad it was like hey you're a part of this puzzle you're not the strongest part but you're still a part of this puzzle but I think the intelligence for all of them you know I think and I feel like because the movie really showed the opportunity um uh, what do you call it, alluded to some of the opportunity. For example, the son, he but took the exam three or four times and still didn't get into university. So you know he's smart just by exposure to that test, which, you know, kind of qualified him to teach uh, the, the daughter day, day high. But I think it, it was really the, the cunning, the intelligence of all of them to use, you know, what they know, what they've been exposed to. And it just so happened that their station in life was a low one. It didn't make them. It didn't make them any less smart, um, but I think it really showed the opportunity that they were able to take advantage of based on their intelligence and their station in life. Yeah, I, I suppose it, the uh, why I selected the forty-minute mark as the mark where I, I kind of felt I got it was um, this is around the point where you realize the chauffeur is going to be fired, that they, or they have their designs upon his position. And that's the point where you see that this is not about a eat the rich narrative where these poor people sort of enact vengeance on them. Um, it's not about people who necessarily have class awareness, but who briefly acquire it. And so at, at that point, you see that they are um, simply trying to unearth or un unearth is the opposite metaphor. They're trying to elevate themselves into another sphere of capitalism, if you want to call that, and then push themselves beyond that and beyond that, beyond that. It, it's a kind of a, a Marcusean critique of, of what, what people, a term I hate, but people call late stage capitalism. Um, and once you see that's what's happening, it's not about revolution. It's about the, um, it's about the totality and machinations of desire within this system that I was kind of like, okay, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I get where we're going here. I, um, I, I get the, uh, I, I see the direction. Tom, I was just gonna, you know, that, that what you just said is one of the reasons why I really liked the film, you know, um, because it wasn't revolution. It wasn't your typical eat the rich kind of thing. If anything, it was the, the poor family trying to work their way up to a, another level and doing the very same things that they critique rich people of doing, which is stepping on the little, on the little guy, you know, how did, how did they get those, so those positions were taken by ripping out somebody else and throwing them out and, and going into the position. My, um, my mentioning of that was not to say that this was a, a bad thing. It was just, that's why when I said before I had like, I kind of got it after 40 minutes, that was, that was the thing that triggered that. I kind of understood the, the direction of the film. It's time for question two. Oh, you guys are gonna love this one. It's a timestamp question. Oh God, <laughs> these freaking things. 
At what timestamp in this two hour, 12 minute film did things get real for the audience having us question the Kim's flawless plan? Locked in. Again, there's a little bit of subjectivity to this one, but I think I can back it. Locked in. Locked in. Byron, give it a go. Oh, man, I want to say, uh, what was it? Uh, when they decided to uh, try to go after the position of the housekeeper. So when they were saying, um, you know, when they figured out what her allergies were, and they were just really trying to see how they could get her out because of how attached she was to the family. You got to give me a, 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 a random timestamp that you think that's when it occurred. Oh, <laughs> oh I, let, let's go with uh, one hour, uh, one hour, eight minutes. And Price is Right rules are in force as usual. I believe it was Ragnar. So uh, it all starts going downhill during that um, uh, evening in the living room, drinking whiskey and all that stuff, I believe, when they got the call from the old housemaid. And a wild shot here, half court, uh, one hour and 10 minutes is what I've written down. Okay, Tom, what did you write down? I, well, I didn't write anything down, but I had uh, 115. So all I got to tell you, and, and I got to be honest with what I wrote down on the paper here, no one is getting the points. You are all super, super close. Um, so I put- Is it 120? I put, no, no, no. Price is right. So you got to be under, not over. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So- Wait, what are, you, what are you considering it going to pot? Uh, the actual uh, timestamp is one hour- six minutes and 36 seconds okay so we're mm. very close uh again unfortunately we're going to be no points after round one but, but what action what action? so, yeah, what's so what scene? i felt was the scene ragnar was the closest in thought where i really thought the the plan started to unravel okay things getting real was when we see the old housekeeper open the door to the bunker which is when their, yeah. their flawless plans start to unravel. So Ragnar was very close, but I, I got it at the exact moment that the door was fully opened. That's the scene. There is when the, when the old housekeeper rings the doorbell and the, the, the new housekeeper, the mother says, who is this? And they're like, it's the old housekeeper. What do we do? The son says, I don't know. This wasn't in the plan. That's what I had. I had the so ring of the bell. Either so either way, before the either way, the door, we were all either above. way that makes us more. Yeah, wrong. either way, you're yeah, all above. More wrong. But <laughs> I would have expected something in that space. So unfortunately, the points will not go to anyone. But I wanted to bring up the thought of survival and how it's depicted in this film. They're all trying to survive in this world. They don't have the same. Um, luxuries or starting point as some of these other people who are more affluent, but we find out this housekeeper who looked all prim and proper when we were first introduced to her is all kinds of disheveled and unorganized and rambly when she comes in the dripping wet rain to the house. Uh, interesting thing, she cut the neighbor's uh, video feed to show that she had come back that's when I think we see that a lot of them are all doing the same thing. They're trying to find a way to survive. So let's talk about survival. Wonderfully set up. Wonderfully set up. I think just like you said, like when thinking about where it may all seem to unravel, you know, when, when it goes back to, um, what was it? Uh, uh, the, the, the war. And she was explaining like how, you know, a lot of the, the rich had set up these, basically these these basements and and semi-basements to last and to survive you know you think about even you know the rich are trying to figure out how to stay alive they're trying to figure out how to how to make it and then you have those that are serving them who are trying to figure out how to make it and it's just like one step after another you have the 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 maid on the housekeeper who is you know it's her and her husband and then now you got the the kim family who are who are in the game and so it's just like no, nobody is consuming the other, but they're all trying to figure out how to live with one another and get what they get what they can. And I think this was what 
I found very interesting about this movie, you know, with, with the term parasite, is that eventually, you know, a parasite will consume what it needs and it either takes over the host or it dies. And so I think with this one, though, you know, the, the, the relationship of having two entities feeding off of each other, or and at one point, possibly three entities feeding off of each other. And so it was, you know, this obviously, you know, this is a, a movie that can, you can see the class warfare in it, um, or at least the, the class awareness uh, to an extent. But it was also seeing, you know, when the, the, uh, the, the mother um, of the, 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 richer, the rich family, when she can't wash dishes and she's like, oh, I, I wish I did not have to do this. When you have the husband who's like, my wife can't cook or clean for anything. We need a housekeeper right away or things are going to go to pot. So it's everybody trying to figure out how to make do by or through somebody else's devices so that way they can still stay in the game. Yeah, it imagines survival within the zero-sum framework that your survival will come at the expense of someone else's. That, that's the, the way. It has a... Um, it really loves its its bug metaphors, and that is a, a insect kind of way of living. It's is the zero sum way of living, and that is what their their survival is based on. However, they're also pretty dull to to the circumstances that place them in this position. There isn't that spark of awareness, except for a moment towards the end, of what they're in. And in fact, I, I would say that the the tragedy of the film or the tragedy the film purports to be is a tragedy of unawareness. It's not the tragedy of, of death or loss or something like that, but it's the inability for revolution to come about, right? And the fact that what we see is that eventually what becomes the parasite is the desire for more, which in the end, it doesn't consume the man in the basement, though he is suckling and, and, Ophacious person who wishes that the boss was still alive again. Um, the parasite comes for the boy who will become the next master, who will become the next thing. And this idea, this kind of desire for for you know more and more capital, for more and more stuff, that becomes the thing that that hooks onto them. And that's what the tragedy of the film is. It isn't the man in the basement. Yeah, it's interesting how the man in the basement is the older gentleman. He's an older man and the one who wants more is the younger man. Uh, the, the older man has gone through that phase and is now just content to live out his life in some kind of comfort, which in this one is essentially a little womb down in the underground. And it's the, it's the, it's the son and the daughter, the young, that, that want more. And, you know, I can't say anything more in depth than what you guys have said about survival. Um, but I do think that when the survival aspect is brought into it, in terms of it's either you or me, because uh, I guess in, in the first one, in the first half of the movie, they're surviving by taking people out and getting their position. In this half of the movie, they are in direct violent conflict with people of their own rank, so to speak. Um, but that's also when the movie kind of turns. We talked about genres earlier. Um, one of the strengths and weaknesses of Korean cinema is they try to fit a lot of genres into one movie uh, instead of breaking their movies out into very distinct genres like in, in the West, at least in my opinion. Uh, I think that this movie did an incredible job of melding the genres together so well that I had no idea what, what I was watching. I, there's no movie like this. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of aspects coming to it. Uh, you know, there's comedy, there's horror, there's melodrama, there's sexuality, there's class warfare, and all in the two hour and change movie. Uh, I think this is what's gonna give this movie legs to, to, to be watched decades from now. At the end of round one, I'm sad to report there are zero points, but the good news is these were only one point questions. So anything can happen in round two. We'll be right back after these quick messages from one of our valued sponsors. This episode of Talking Pictures Trivia is sponsored by Your Car Warranty. We've been trying to reach you about your car warranty. 
And we thought that this specific episode of Talking Pictures Trivia was the perfect way to reach out to you about extending your car's warranty. Thank you, and please enjoy the rest of the episode. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. So this one goes out to both Ragnar and Byron. If you could watch Parasite with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, first one that came to my mind actually was uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. And that was because it, there was a scene. Uh, well, it's funny because I didn't even think about it until I had rewatched it. Because uh, this, this was my second time watching it. But the, the first, it was thinking about the, the themes of capitalism throughout this movie. And recently I've been, you know, you don't know, but I've been like looking at things around, uh, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce success, Rockefeller Records. You know, now how a lot of people are saying that uh, Jay-Z is kind of taking on the persona of Jean-Michel uh, Basquiat. And so in watching this, I would love to have a discussion um, with Basquiat to to see what he thought about, like, we, you know, earlier we talked about survival, we talked about classism, we talked about, um, you know, I think, you know, obvious, obvious tropes of racism, but it was also thinking about what does capitalism do to all classes? And then it was the reference in the movie, which really surprised me by um, Bong Joon-ho, uh, uh, was the, the scene with the son, when the mother actually references um, the son's paintings looking like Basquiat. And so I would love to have a conversation with him about this movie to talk about capitalism and classism at its core. Okay, over to you, Ragnar. Good answer. I, I feel like uh, I've, I, in these questions that I, I get asked every time I, I'm a host, I always give just like the lamest answers. I never pick like someone cool or celebrity. I always pick like, oh, random guy off the street. So you're going to follow that. So now i got to follow the best <laughs> answer to that question yet uh, with the lamest question, answer to that question yet. Uh, and that is with literally any South Korean cinephile, literally any of them. Because I feel like this movie has so much of the South Korean culture in it, with the rock, the 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 houses, the apartments, the the the, the little uh, song. You know, when 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 the daughter's about to go into the house for the first time, she does this song and she moves her fingers a certain way to remind herself of the story. And, you know, little things like that, those little details that add depth to this movie. I, I want to know from someone that very familiar with the culture, which I am not, what do they mean? How do you use them? Or is this something from your childhood, you know? Uh, and maybe there is a deeper understanding for a Western audience to have watching with someone through that lens. It's time for question three. What triggered the father, played by Kang Ho Sang, to murder the wealthy father, played by Sun Kyun Lee? Locked in. Tom was quick on that one. Locked in. Locked in. Okay. Byron, start us up. It was seeing the way that uh, the the dad, the rich dad, basically just dismissed um, the, the husband from the basement who had a skewer in his kidney with the brats hanging off of it just to get the keys. And then it was the action of him holding his nose and I think it was that thought of him thinking about if he thinks of him this way, there's he definitely thinks of me the same way. That 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 repulsion of the smell of the subway riders, of the poor, of somebody like him. And it was that moment where you could see he just snapped and it was like, Well, this is what my life is gonna be. That that is that is my answer. Yeah, I'm going to agree. It, it was the smell. It was him covering his nose. Uh, and I think that smell thing was the most effective class warfare thing that I've ever seen in any movie, where it's like, I don't even like the way you smell. And they brought it up many times. He smelled his own shirt many times. But right there with the stress that was going on, he sees him just even then, even when there's death all around him, he's still like, repelled by this poor man's smell i think uh that was a great scene yeah the, I had the same thing it was the smell he had mentioned when under the table the the father of the rich family that um mr kim smelled like radishes and that smell when the uh, 
when the crazed man attacks them, uh, you know, his, his response is holding the nose is what triggers that knife wielding. Congrats. Everyone gets two points. We got some points on the board. I agree that the reference to the smell as the differentiator was really well done because even if you were dressed up in the right clothes, you were in your best behavior, they could still identify you as, for lack of a better term, inferior because of an unknown aroma around you because of where you live and how you live your life. So I thought that was quite powerful. And it's amazing how that sense is what made this guy flip. Powerful. It's the only time where he sees the world the way, let's say, the the director of the film sees the world, right? He's the only, it's the only time where he realizes that the enemy is not the, the people on his level, but these people who he fantasizes about, aspires to be. Imagine that his son will one day be the the son-in-law of and you know that becomes that kind of moment of class of class warfare very brief moment of class warfare um and it's immediately kind of squashed and it's not squashed by authority it's squashed by that kind of spark going out Um, mr kim himself kind of quiets it or pushes it back down or ceases to see it uh and the the tragedy isn't that death. I mean, we, we don't care about the rich father anyway. He's, he's not a developed character. He's just sort of a stand-in for capitalism bad, you know? <laughs> he does. I don't think he has a, dis, a discernible personal characteristic in the entire picture. Um, but, but the tragedy of the film follows that. And as I said before, it's the son um, never developing class consciousness, never developing revolution and perpetuating the system. Two things, I think that the son at the end did develop it when he asked um, Jay High, the, the rich daughter, do I belong or do I belong with these people or your people? And then at that moment, he's like, I'm going to go back downstairs to check on the people who were like me. So I, I think it, it was at the end where he, where it actually hit him, even though he's asking her, does he belong? He knows that he doesn't. I was going to say, but then what happens at the very end? Oh yeah, then at the very end, it just all it all goes to crap. <laughs> yeah, it all goes to crap. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I I think I read that scene differently. I thought he was going down to finish the job, so that he could get this life, and he dropped the rock. So I I think he was trying to finish the job so that he could earn his way into this lifestyle. It depends on how we view the rock or talk about the rock. Is that the next? That was his opportunity, rock. <laughs> <laughs> the, rock, yeah. the rock is a very important thing that i just don't understand is, is the is the next question about the rock because uh not the no, nicholas cage no, movie but sure but the... can... <laughs> yeah yeah but i i do i took it as that was his rite of passage to get what he wanted to be part of that world and it went astray when he dropped the rock and the guy got the jump on him and it kind of went crazy, but again, that's how I read. I mean, that. maybe you could read it as like he was going to present them with the rock, you know, like here's a rock of no, opportunity, but no. yeah, I, in their skull. Exactly. But he got I it. Think, <laughs> I think he was on his way down to do some harm uh, to those people uh, because he brought the rock. Where the sister is the one that had the the empathy because she was trying to bring down food. Um, where he was bringing yes. down the, the mother was also on board yeah. too with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but the, it got crazy last night. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the the thing is, oh, I know. The thing is with <laughs> the rock, <laughs> the rock is this thing that it, when it's given to him, it's it's said this will bring you great wealth. It's a scholar's rock. It will bring you great wealth. Um, when he's in the the homeless shelter, the gymnasium after the flood. It, it clings to me, he said of the rock. I can't let it go. Um, and when he could finally let the rock go is when he comes up with a plan to join the system. When he decides that he's going to become the, the next generation of capitalists, that's when he puts the rock away. I, I always, it puts the rock in the stream. He walks beyond it. I don't know if he's going into the basement to, to, to kill them. Um, or maybe it is to, I always felt that it was much more sympathetic. Um, that, he, you know, I, I don't really see the evidence of that. It seems to be that he is aware of his class 
once once he looks out there and it's like i don't belong here um and then he's going down there and i think honestly to to be with them to present it i mean the rock tends to be the the thing that ties him to the to the world in a bad way and it also becomes his awareness of that that bind and when he's able to kind of leave his class awareness completely behind leave his um his class any chance of him establishing class awareness behind is when he loses the rock when he's able to just give it up he can't you know until he's ready to become a capitalist it clings to him right and so i always read it as a sort of a familiar for his his class consciousness it's time for question four how do the ghosts communicate oh locked in locked in do you have any bonus questions, dude? <laughs> I have one and some others. I, I think I'm about to fall behind here. How do the ghosts communicate locked in? Ragnar, with all that confidence. <laughs> the ghosts. Uh, Morse code. Byron? Morse code as well, through the light. Yeah, I had the same thing. Morse code through the light. and the Ragnar, you snuck in there. Yeah, definitely Morse code. <laughs> He's in there. You remember how I said I didn't want to go deeper until we discussed the ending? Let's discuss the ending because I think I have, I think a few of us might have different reads. Well, what's your reading that we haven't heard you? So, yes. So, this film is all about the, the haves and the have nots, even the symbolism of where they live. One lives up on the, the hill. Everything is high. The only thing they fear is maybe bombs from above, hence the shelters, okay? And everything else rolls downhill. In fact, they're at the lowest spot, but you can get lower. They're halfway down into a basement. So they are ascending as far as they can to get a glimpse of this. Now, my read at the end, after he figures out that the father is in the shelter and they go through this whole thing, I'm gonna make all this money, and I'm going to get that house. I think because this movie is not a movie for happy endings. I think he will never be reunited with his father and it will never be attained. I think it's a fantasy and I think it's an illusion that he's telling himself that he will get there. I think that's the opinion. And if you have that opinion, that goes back to the rock and smashing their heads as the only way to get to that part. So based within the confines of the film and what, how he's presenting these characters and the social structure, that is my read, which fundamentally changes maybe our enjoyment of the film, but also our read on what is trying to be portrayed. And that was, I don't know if any of you agree with me. I know Tom is dying to say how he doesn't agree with me, um, but does, I, I, I I, I want to hear both. I want to hear if, if anyone yeah, yeah, right. read it the same way I did or not. I, I have a what thing that connects very closely to Nick, but Tom, if you're eager to go, go. I, I was going to say the tragedy would be that he does get the house. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is that not only that he would get the house, the tragedy is that he wants to get the house. The tragedy is he wants to become the next Mr. I don't even remember the rich guy's name. He the park family the park sure mr park right um uh yeah that's the tragedy of the film whether he gets there or not is almost to a certain degree inconsequential i mean we kind of want him to to reunite with his father because that's very nice um but the tragedy of the film is that he wants the house and the tragedy of us as viewers is that we want him to want the house and to get the house want is different than getting though he it's wants the, it i'm saying that he wants that's it the yeah, problem. i'm saying that's he will the never problem. get it that problem is he wants it the problem is he is not in revolution he's not going into revolution the problem is he isn't overthrowing the blah blah you know whatever the bourgeoisie the upper class the people on the top of the hill the point is he wants to be them. That's the tragedy of the picture. The tragedy but of the picture is we're that We're looking when, at it from a different angle, but we're both saying the same thing, that no, he's not going to get no, it. We're not saying the same thing at all. No, Tom's saying, saying it doesn't matter if he gets it or not. The desire for the house is what is the tragedy. The, the well, tra- okay, the, I'm the, agreeing the victory, that it's the desire, but I'm also saying that the, he's not going to get it. I'll put it another <laughs> way. The high comedy, the comic point that's the height of this film is when Mr. Park gets stabbed. 
when the knife goes into Mr. Park's deltoid, which somehow kills him, that's the, the point of the movie in which we're at the comic mode. This is the point when revolution can happen. This is the point when, um, when the farce of fantasy can dissolve into the, the celebration of blood, if you want to call it that. Um, the tragedy is that spark goes out immediately. The tragedy is that we saw the, you know, the beloved, but she didn't turn around in time. Whatever, you know, what, whatever analogy you want to draw. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is not that he will or won't get the house. Inconsequential, I think. I'd like to hear everyone else's thoughts on this because yeah. I'm not saying it's inconsequential. I'm agreeing that the tragedy is that he won't get it, but I'm saying no, he- That's not what I, not what I said. <laughs> oh, no, no, hold on. The tragedy is that he wants to follow the path that would allow him to get it. But I'm saying, I agree that that's what he wants, but he also will not get it. I'm saying in addition to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. okay. So I think mine is like a kind of Goldilocks of the two, or probably not <laughs> I don't know. But I think that the the change for the rock and, and, and the sun happens after the violence. Before the violence, uh, when he is in the, his uh, students uh, and girlfriend's uh, room, looking down at the people and they're playing the cello and they're chopping wood and everyone looks beautiful. Um, he... He says, do I look like I belong? He doesn't, and the way I read it is that he's not saying I don't belong or he finds out or, or he puts himself. He's admiring them and hoping to belong, but realizing maybe I don't and still wanting to belong by doing the same thing that he had done up to this point, which is stepping on someone else on his level. So that's why I feel he was going down there to, to resolve the issue of the basement, perhaps with violence, so that it doesn't get in his way of him uh, scheming and scamming his way to the top. After the violence, uh, after he's changed physically and emotionally, I mean, he had brain surgery and all that stuff, then he made a different resolution to himself. He said, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go make money instead of scheming, scamming, uh, pushing other people aside. I'm going to go make money and then I'm going to go buy the house. So I think I'm just, I'm tying it back to the previous question as to my reading is slightly different um, that he was going down there with peace or some kind of be with them compassion. I don't think that was the case. And I think that's why. And the ending, I, to me, it's, it's more about like the human, the human, condition maybe more so than economic condition and revolution i think uh bong juho there is no revolution there is not going to be a revolution and it, it, it's not going to happen it's, it's never going to happen because of the human desire um it's always going to be there and i don't think he takes a stand on it i know it looks like he does but he paints the the, the, the poor family in a negative light they're lazy they're a lazy family mm -hmm. that only motivate themselves when there's immediate money there and, and, and scheming, like, like Nick said earlier. That's the only time they're motivated. Other than that, they're just on the toilet trying to find a free Wi-Fi signal. And you're not going to get anything <laughs> like that. So the thing is, they did get somewhere in life. They, <laughs> they got the best job they probably have ever had, even if it was for a brief minute. Where I focused on during uh, for the, the end of the movie, it wasn't so much the son and trying to figure out um, him. It, it wasn't him trying to figure out if he belonged or where he belonged. For me, it was the 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 demise of the dad's dream. That moment when he realized he had crossed the line one with the uh, with uh, the park dad. When the park dad told him, I'm paying you more, this is your job. That moment was like, even because there, there was a couple, there was a moment in the movie where the park dad had said to his wife, he keeps getting right at the line and he does not cross it. That's why I like him. And then that moment when he crossed that line with a native headdress on at a kid's party, which has nothing to do with the scam or the con or the ascension to the next you know, uh, financial level, 
it was in that moment, he was like, okay, well, I made a grievous error in stepping over the line. Then it was the operatic scene of the dad seeing his daughter who had just gotten stabbed. I think it was not knowing where his son was. It was the um, his wife um, also injured. It was seeing, it was him having to figure out how to choose between the ones he loved and a job that would get them out of the, the, the basement situation that they were in. I mean, basement as in they were literally at a point in their residence where people were peeing down on them. And to be at that point where you are solo to where somebody has to use the bathroom on you, and then in the moment of so much tragedy, chaos, and death, and thinking, who do I save? How do I get out of this? Do I go get the car for this for the kid? You know, what do I do? Who do I save? How do I get out of this? And that that fear on his face in that scene was really what what touched me, knowing that there was no way that there was a good ending for for anybody in that situation, and particularly him as you know the the father, as the husband, as the the head of of his family, of the Kim family. Okay, we have a tie game, four points all. So, of course, we got to go to bonus round. It's time for a bonus question. What was the body count in this film? I need an exact number. And I'm only giving you 10 seconds. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. 10 seconds. Okay, Tom. I had four. I also had four. I want to. I want to go with three. Uh, the answer is actually four. So uh, it's down to Ragnar and Tom. You each get double over. So we got to go into another bonus question. If you were, if you were curious who the death count was, it was the daughter. Uh, the uh, the the father, Park, Mr. Park the lady and her husband. It's time for a bonus question. Actually, it's more of a statement. <laughs> the housekeeper brings this beverage to Mrs. Park to calm her. Locked in. Locked in. We're, we're, we're talking about the original, the original housekeeper. That's all I'm saying. Okay, locked in. Ooh, locked in. Byron? What do you got? Uh, I want to say it was plum wine. Okay, Ragnar? Early on in the movie, when her son is upstairs, the housekeeper <laughs> offers to bring uh, her plum extract with some honey to calm her down. Tom? I'm I'm sorry, I had the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone said plum. I'm going to give that to everybody. Uh, All right. Okay, now you're going to make my life difficult, aren't you? It's time for a bonus question. When the Kim family starts to get some money, instead of having fast food as a big feast in their house, what is the type of restaurant they go to to celebrate? Oh, Locked in. Oh, locked in. I just remembered. Locked in. Ragnar, you're going to start us up. So when they start to get a little bit of money, they go to a buffet-style restaurant for other workers. I believe there were also drivers uh, in that restaurant. I, my answer is the, the buffet for drivers. We call, I would call it an EDR, uh, casino term but executive dining room. So basically the dining room for uh, the drivers. Uh, unfortunately, you're all correct. <laughs> <laughs> it was a drive. They called it a driver's cafeteria. It's time for a bonus question. The way this question will work is there are three potential answers. You will get a point for each correct answer. What are the names of the park's three dogs. Oh, God. <laughs> this is the decider. 
No, I don't even remember one. Um, it's anybody's game. Technically, Byron can come back. <laughs> Damn you, Nick. Hey, when you're in like mega mega bonus time, you know you gotta you gotta go with the heavy hitters. Locked in, locked in. Yeah, I I'm, I'll lock in something. Yeah. Say those magical words, Ragnar. Locked in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what are the name of the pups? Fifi, Fufu, and Zumi. <laughs> Fifi, Fufu, and Zo- What was the last one? Zumi, Zuli, Zeus. Okay. Okay. I, I got it. I got it. Okay. Um, who was the? Uh, I gotta write these things. Down. <laughs> I don't know who. You don't have to write next. mine down. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it was Byron. I'm not even sure. It was uh, was it Terry or Barry? It was Zuni, Barry, and Fufu. Zuni, Barry, and Fufu is my answer. Barry Terry. Okay. Yeah, Barry. And Tom? I'm going to say, I, I had Floofy. That was the thing I locked in with. And I'm also going to say, to to try and at least get one, uh, Flew You and Flu Flu. <laughs> this is called filling the margins. That's, <laughs> okay. that's how I try to get it. Well, I will tell you that, although he's not going to win the episode, Byron was very on the money with this one. It was yeah. Zumi, Berry, and Fufu. However, Ragnar I... had a Fufu, okay? Oh. And, and Zuli, the Zuni. Zuni. Yeah. Yeah, I said Zumi. Well, I said Zuni. It was Zuni. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I said it, was, it was Zuni, right. not Zumi. No, I said oh. Zuni. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you were right. Oh, you were right. So you, you said, like, Zuni, not Berry. Not Zuni. So, so, uh, yes, Tom and Byron are actually going to tie for second, ah, but uh, Ragnar is going to sneak <laughs> the win in here. Whether it was Fufu, Zumi, Zuli, you still were ahead. So I'm, I'm going to do that. You got it both. Uh, you're wait, ahead wait, by wait, quadruple overtime. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So we finally got it. We got a winner. Okay. It was a tight match all the way to the bitter end. Once people started answering questions correctly. So. <laughs> it's time for movie rent. Thinking about how the, the Kim family work together all the time. Um, there was a scene with the, with the pizza, the pizza girl where it was the, the, the son, I think starts talking with her. And as he's talking with her out, out of the scene then all of a sudden the the daughter comes in and then as they're talking the camera starts to zoom in and then out of the left frame comes the mom and it was the way they cornered her as one person to get what they wanted which was you know to get the job and to get paid for the pizza boxes then later it was how they converged on all of their goals as a family even when the dad was getting made fun of for his smell um you know, it was still the family. They, they, they would make fun of each other, but only to the point of we still are focusing on what we all need and want to get, which is jobs, which is to the next level, um, to get whatever, you know, materialistically or whatever the case may be. But I, I really, as a family, as a family unit, I loved how they work together. And I think that collectivist approach, you know, it also speaks to, you know, Korean, South Korean culture of, we do things as a unit, no matter what is happening around us. And I thought that that all those scenes and how it showed that mentality were beautiful. Whether it was the music highlighting it, um, whether it was in tragedy or triumph, whether it, you know, no matter where they were, it was that they worked as a unit, as a family with a very um, ideal approach as in we all win when we stick together. Well said, yeah. That was excellent. What I want to say is a little bit external to the movie, just slightly. So if, Thomas, there's anything you want to say about the movie itself proper, uh, maybe. Go for it. Go, go, go. Okay. Uh, see your, um, I was just want, I just wanted to say, uh, first I want to ask Tom, uh, have you seen a lot of, just out of curiosity, have you seen a lot of South Korean films before? Or just not not really, no. I mean, I've seen the the old boy. Mm-hmm. I've seen old boy, um, but not a, not a tremendous amount. Just, that's just kind of a side thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
for those of us that love the film, um, I, I want to talk just briefly about why I think it's a very important film. Um, and, and I think you might agree, you guys can agree, regardless how you felt about the film. Um, South Korea, while they've been making movies for, for decades, I feel recently they've gone through their kind of golden age of film. And um, there are absolutely incredible films to be seen in, in, in South Korea. And there have been two attempts to, to bring Western audiences and, uh, into, the, into the fold. The first one is to take the director, the, the writer-director out of their cinema, out of their Hollywood, so to speak, and drop them into California for them to make movies with American actors um, and, and, and plot. And we've done that with uh, Kim Ju Wo, uh, with Park Chan Wok, and Bong Ju Ho, uh, with, you know, The Last Stand, um, uh, Stroker, and um, Snowpiercer. Um, and I think those have all been failed attempts. I think those movies were, were poor and did not show what these directors can do. The other way of doing it is remaking the films. What well, we talked about Old Boy before. Old Boy was made by an extremely talented director, Spike Lee. It didn't work out. It's not as good. It's nowhere near as good. It happened with, also, with an Argentinian film, The Secret in Their Eyes, which is one of the greatest foreign films of all time, the original one, and the American remake didn't work out. It's not good. So there's something about the barrier there. And, and I feel like we've been trying to figure it out and I'm not talking about cinephiles that we all know these movies and, and they're very popular amongst our circle. I'm talking about the everyday person. I think Parasite's important because it's the first one that, as is, the South Korean film was on the big screen. It wasn't remade and it wasn't with American actors. It was just shown in America in the big screen. The first South Korean film I've ever seen on the big screen. It was talked about in the Oscars. It won the Oscar award. And it's not important because the Oscars are important, but it's important because it brought a foreign film to, to everybody. Everybody knows about it now. So I think it's gonna usher in a new age of the common moviegoer, so to speak, being opened to foreign films as they are without remakes, without dubbing, and, and without uh, being made into our culture. So that's just the rest I want to go. I believe I represent that because this is a film that caught my attention and I don't know any other, you know, Korean films. Like I don't know any, usually, and I was joking early on, our man behind the curtain here, KJ brings our foreign films, especially of the Asian variety to our attention. And I went out of my way to say, this is my pick for this week. I want to see this because I've heard so much about it and I did enjoy it. So there's a perfect example. I tend to bring nostalgia films, pop culture films, all those things to our, you know, viewing viewers here, or listeners here, I should say. And I decided to go with Parasite, which is outside of the norm for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm happy other cultures, films get exposed. Um, you know, that's, I, I mean, I think the the ideology undergirding the film is entirely uh, entirely Western. Um, you know, but that that's fine. They're, you know, these things can. There's a sort of uh, uh, a hybridity, I think, between various cultures going on here. Um, my my problem ends up just being with the with the picture itself, not not the fact of the um, not the fact of like Korean films being exposed to. Western audiences, obviously, um, and I, I just find the film. I, you know, I, I think what it is is for me, farce would be a really great kind of um, kind of socialist commentary type thing. Uh, you know, kind of kind of the the Marxist genre, so to speak. Um, farce is something kind of like what Brecht did in the in the thirties and twenties and forties. Um, here we have what seems like it's going to start into farce and then moves into this kind of real tragic mode. And what it ends up doing is it, it brings in this kind of realism, even though we we've given been given some of this farcical frame and farce has, has much more elastic boundaries when it, when it comes to realism. And so it just feels kind of like hard to buy. And the characters, a lot of them are not developed and the, the, the capitalists are, 
you know, um, they're they're just unaware and and either stupid, as in the case of the mother, or um, you, you just self-involved, or in the case of the father. I mean, he's not even self-involved. He's just a stand-in for for that that kind of ideology. And I think if you look towards um, if you look towards uh, somebody like Brecht and see what his epic theater did for kind of these, these socialist ideas, how they use them, or a, a modern version of Brecht, something like um, Herbert Ross's 1980s film, Pennies from Heaven, I think you could see the kind of mode or the kind of mood rather, and the kind of tone that really would, um, would sustain this type of criticism. I find this fascinating because we all have difference of opinions, even when we like it, we like it for different reasons, or if we dislike it, it's also for different. So, and the only ones I can really talk about between Tom and I, because we seem to be in, in different areas on this one, especially since it was our first watch, how you interpret some of this seems to affect your enjoyment of the film. So it's just quite fascinating to me how, and, and this is why I, I, I love movies is that you can have two different people and they can agree on other movies and have a completely different opinion on something like this. I thought it was a good movie to have a conversation about because it does have these emotions. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep going on, but I just want to emphasize this. It's not really the, the ideology that I found frustrating. It, it, it was the, the presentation of it. Um, I, not, not to say that I'm agreeing with the ideology. I, that wasn't it. It was it was these these other things that that I had a problem with. But I let it go. <laughs> <laughs> now again, we're gonna go we're gonna go back and forth. But again, these yeah. are the type of movies I enjoy watching and discussing, especially on this podcast. When we don't all just sit here and agree with each other, like we like different elements or we dislike certain areas. So it it it, it tends to be. Mm-hmm more fun <laughs> if, if yeah. you don't all agree with everything i'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week ragnar who took it in mega bonus rounds congrats ragnar really didn't know which way it was going this week we're all winners this round we're all winners the diplomatic we're, yeah. we're losers the diplomatic approach in addition to our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. How good did that steak look when it was being cut up and why? <laughs> Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. I think any of our vegetarian listeners may have a difference of opinion have additional thoughts email us at talkingpicturestrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future from the listeners episodes thanks again ragnar and byron for joining us today i i love coming on here and stumbling my way through my thoughts of uh, the given movie and you guys keep asking me for me to come back i really appreciate it and uh yeah just i love being on this show love talking movies and cinema whether it is stateside or international so just thank you for having me on and if you want you can find me at byron l williams that is b-y-r-o-n-l williams on twitter and you can find me at Thomas Lehman 15 on Twitter and look for our sister podcast talking pictures B-side. I can also be found on Twitter at the nickname. Join us next time when we discuss our friend Doug's recommendation from 1984 Ghostbusters. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Today's movie is going to be Ghostbusters from 1984, the original. So what were your initial thoughts? I have to say, I think the thing outside of Bill Murray that I love about this movie is that the EPA is the villain. <laughs> in, my, in my cold, cold heart, I just, I love that so much. I don't think I've seen another movie where the EPA is the villain. And, you know, like there's this like private business that becomes the better alternative to academia. I, I that part of it, I love 
so, so much. Um, and then, of course, the best part of it is Bill Murray. I think outside of Bill Murray, there really isn't much of a movie here, but um, it's pretty wonderful to watch him sort of waltz in and put the movie in his back pocket. That That is what I enjoyed about this movie this time out. This movie was definitely my introduction to Bill Murray uh, way back in the 80s when I first saw it. I originally came to the Ghostbusters through the cartoon. Uh, and then this movie I found after it's like, oh, I really like the real Ghostbusters. Here are the same characters, but this is wildly different. And for a young kid, maybe a little inappropriate at times. Uh, but I really this is this is pure nostalgia for me. This is like one of my favorite movies from from being a kid. And I remember having all the toys and the and the Ghostbuster, the Ghostbuster firehouse and everything. This was a walk down memory lane to watch this one again. Uh, this came out the year I was born, so I don't remember when I first saw it exactly, but uh, yeah, I remember seeing pieces of it and I'm not sure when I saw the full movie in its entirety, but uh, definitely my favorite Bill Murray movie. And yeah, just uh, just a good time. I was trying to think what my introduction to Ghostbusters actually was. And I, I wasn't sure if it was Ghostbusters 2, which is one of those rare occasions where you might see the sequel first, but just like Chris, it probably was the cartoon, because I remember the action figures. And I think I may have seen two before I actually saw one, just because of timing of when it was released and, and all that into the theaters. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. It, probably the last time I saw it was on cable, because it's one of those things where you see it on and, and I actually can watch bits and pieces because I know it so well. But I really enjoyed this rewatch because I haven't sat down and watched it, you know, with one sitting for, for quite some time. So I'm really looking forward to discussing this one with everybody.